Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there. So podcasting with a very, very busy man goes by the name of Dan Beckner. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm chilling. Um... So you are working a couple different bands right now. Yep. You've had a lifestyle for a long time of being in lots of different bands. This time it's Operators and Wolf Parade. That's right. Yeah. First, Operators is your thing right now. Uh, operators, I'm, I'm, we're just about to put a record out on uh, April 1st. Uh, and we're doing, a, we're doing a month-long tour of the United States with one show in Canada. And... Uh, and some shows in Cuba coming up. And then, uh, and then I'll be transitioning out of that into Wolf Parade pretty much immediately. So, yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've been on top of the tour, but haven't studied enough to know if you're being serious with Cuba. You, do you have, you have Cuba shows coming up? Yeah, we do. Okay. Uh, I, they were originally supposed to happen right after the tour ended, but I think we're, we're going to end up, uh, we, we're going to end up playing Cuba in, the summer rather than just go straight from Boston to Havana. So. Word, because you've done a lot of the international stuff before. Like I remember with Handsome Furs, you did like a documentary when you were touring Southeast Asia, right? Yeah, yeah. We did, uh, we actually did something for CNN um, in 2009. The first time we went to, we went to China and, uh, and a pretty big chunk of Southeast Asia. And we had, you know, they gave us cameras and we filmed 40, 50 hours of footage and they, they edited it down and, uh, they released it, and there was there was I think there was a short lived Vice CNN partnership too because we played mm-hmm. a, we played the launch party for that which happened here in New York in the Lower East Side, so, um, so yeah, but but I toured a lot internationally. I played in places people don't generally want to go on tour to or don't think of going. A lot of Eastern European dates, and you know, yeah. So you know what's up with getting papers, passports in order. Yeah, pretty much. You're a pro with that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a pro with that, yeah. It's all about the documents. You're a Canadian citizen who was just telling me about your family's history in Germany before we started recording. Yeah. Tours a lot in America. Yeah. You, so you've, and you, what you, you were telling me earlier just now, getting the band members of operators together is complicated with that stuff. It is, because we're a multinational band. I mean, we have two... Uh, two Canadians in the band, myself and the bass player, and then we have two Americans, uh, Sam and Devoika. Um, so, for them to come and play shows in Canada, in Canada, right? For the Americans to come to Canada, this is the process. Uh, 
the venue that you're playing at and the promoter sends a letter uh essentially or a document to the border uh you fill out that document remotely online you show up and the border says okay this person is here this person is here come on in and work in canada to play shows for canadians in america working the other way uh you as a musician you have to pay about fifteen hundred dollars a year for a visa uh, that is processed through the Department of Homeland Security. Uncle Sam ain't cheap. It is not cheap. Yeah. So there's <laughs> I didn't no, even know that. There's wow. no reciprocal arrangement with with uh, American border for uh, for like working musicians, which is it makes it really hard. Like for us, okay, whatever. We're on a record label. Uh, I have a history of touring, you know, and we have we have the capital to be able to pay for those mm-hmm. those work papers. But for young bands, it's it's brutal. I mean, if you're like in your early 20s and everybody works a day job and you're 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 trying to get yeah. your band on the road in America, which you you basically have to go to the states. You can't just play in Canada, right? To do that, if you have five people in the band, you're looking at paying, you know, like over $6,000 US just to go on tour. And if you're starting out, your tour is probably not going to gross 6 Gs. You know? So it's it's prohibitively expensive, I think. For, yeah, that's for bands ridiculous. To that's it's, such a shakedown. Yeah, it's really like it was kind of post nine eleven, and then during the Bush era when everybody got, uh, it seemed like the border got really really intense about um, about work visas um, for musicians specifically. And then after two thousand and eight, when the financial collapse happened, it was I. I I'm assuming they were just kind of like, okay, well, any way we can make money <laughs> yeah. is, yeah. Because it's, it's like what? Oh, we don't know if the people are safe or not. Oh, they want to pay us a few thousand dollars. Oh, it's fine then. Yeah. Like what? Well, ostensibly, the, the idea is like you're, you're paying for the privilege of coming into America and they want to make sure the border and immigration wants to make sure that you're not doing a job that an American could be doing. So... You know, like, uh, so a Canadian band playing at Bowery Ballroom, for instance, right. isn't taking isn't taking a job away from an American band, which is kind of a, like a ridiculous premise to begin with, because you know, even if you're a Canadian band coming and playing Bowery, uh, those ticket sales are you know whatever that night they're keeping the lights on at Bowery. There's you know you're selling booze because people are in there. It's paying for the wages of uh, mm-hmm. the staff for that particular night. You could kind of look at it like that. So and you know if I come down and play shows, it's actually it's it's helping the economy in a micro level. Mm-hmm. You know unless the show tanks and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're just looking out for the New York scene. That's all it is. They just want to support the punk scene in New York. Yeah, yeah. That's keep a, the Canadians out. Yeah, keep the Canadians out. <laughs> Whereas in Canada, we'll just let anybody in. You want to play music in yeah, Canada? Like, Fine. <laughs> Fill out the form. How much does it cost? It costs zero dollars. <laughs> you know, we're happy to have you. Appreciate you. Yeah. Actually, the last time I drove into Canada with some friends, we all had to get out of our car and they actually searched it. Yeah. That was actually, because they weren't doing that for everybody. But well, You guys must have looked sketchy. Well, see, they asked us what we brought mm-hmm. and... The lady was like very stern faced, very serious, like staring us down, looking us in the eye. Yeah. And we were just like, oh, you know, just like clothes, luggage, just like anything else. We were like, friendship. And then she was like, that's it. Out of the car, guys. Yeah, yeah. You don't joke around with those people. They're not like, <laughs> they're not, yeah. 
it's a 50-50 chance whether they're going to be able to take a joke or not. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I was on the wrong side. Of that. I feel like it might even be more like 90-10. I'll be, you know. Not, to, many, not many jokes flying around yeah. at the border. Yeah, yeah, it's usually a bad, bad call. But honestly, like, I've had more good experiences going into the States with U.S. border control people than I've had experience, good experience going back into Canada uh, and crossing back through and mm-hmm. dealing with Canadian customs as a Canadian is always kind of a pain in the ass. When I was living, I lived in uh, California for a few years, and mm-hmm. um, every time I'd come back to Canada, specifically Quebec, and I'd land at the airport, you know, I was living in the States, but I was still a Canadian citizen. So I'd go through the Canadian citizen line, and they'd be like, where do you live? And I'd be like, I live in L.A. And I think there's, like, kind of an inferiority <laughs> complex, like, in general in Canada, where, uh-huh. where I would just start getting gross. They'd be like, why did you leave? I'd be like, well, my job. Like, <laughs> well, you don't like it here anymore? Like, what's wrong with Canada? It's like, there's nothing wrong with Canada. I just live in L.A. Like... Please, like, don't be, why are you mad? Please don't be mad at me. It's like, oh, in a band? What are your lyrics about? Are the lyrics about Canada at all? It's like, I still, you know, I still love you, Canada, right? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just living somewhere You just think healthcare should be privatized. Yeah. You have to leave. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) No, that's actually why I moved back to Canada from L.A. Free healthcare. (laughs) Well, anyway, let's talk about the stuff you got coming out. Thing, okay. Lots of things happening. Okay. So you've been rolling out albums with different projects for a while now in your life. How does this one compare, the Operators album? How has things changed? Um, I think Operators is Operators is really like a culmination of work that I started doing in, in Handsome Furs, like from about 2006. Uh, Handsome Furs was like a, you know, we put out three records and it was a very like electronic project just a lot of programming and you know sort of more beat based than anything I'd done before and over that time I, I got better at you know being able to make you know sound design beats put put uh put these songs together use the hardware properly and uh but Handsome First was a two-piece so when I started Operators it, it was really taking that sort of like electronic world and programming hardware programming and 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 bolting it on to like mm-hmm. live performance stuff, live drums, guitar, and, and vocals. So I, I think in a lot of ways, Operators is just a, it's, it's just a kind of a culmination of stuff that I've, songwriting that stuff that I've learned in Wolf Parade and, and you know, what I was working towards in Handsome Furs before that project imploded. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Mm. Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's drop in a little bit of operator's music and we'll talk about the stuff a little bit more. This is Cold Light. Cool. Boom. Boom. So yeah, from what I've been reading about operators online, a lot of the press, they just keep saying that it's mysterious, like a mysterious project. Like, why do you think people keep saying that? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. The press gets something, they just run with it. I think I think the graphics for uh, or the the images we kind of rolled out at the beginning uh, of the band's life were, you know, deliberately vague, mm -hmm. and um, and we haven't, you know, uh, the way we debuted the band too was we didn't we didn't have any recorded music, we didn't release any recorded music. We just we played uh, three or four shows in a row in Toronto, Ontario, uh, and. And then just started playing live. So people, the only way you could experience the band or see the music was to see it live. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we started putting stuff out. So maybe that lends itself to the mysterious compare, like assessment. I don't know. Also, the, it's it's kind of a icy, you know, uh, post punky sort of band. Maybe that maybe people think that's mysterious. The keyboards are spooky. Maybe that's yeah. uh, maybe that's it. Writer is just like adjectives, man. We like to just uh, take one of those words, not hopefully not me personally, but writers like to just take words and run with it. You know, I, honestly, it probably, the word mysterious probably got thrown around in an early press release and mm. then was just <laughs> copy-pasted to every single uh, sort of article about the band, because that happens a lot. You'll write a bio and then you'll see verbatim stuff from the bio written without quotation marks around it, you know, uh, in the top paragraph uh in an article on your band yeah you're like oh i recognize that i mean i mean in a way you're controlling your own image but yeah there, but, there is, but there is a there is a sort of inherent falseness to that you know that's like yeah i i guess that's just how it works but. i mean bios are basically always flattering so yeah you control an image and it's going to be a good image well, because you approve the bio, right? Like, I mean, I remember the first time I ever I, I ever had to write a bio was with Wolf Parade, and we wrote this ridiculous bio, and then Sub Pop edited it, and I didn't know how things worked, right? So they edited the bio, and they're like, "Okay, great, you have, we have your bio," and then press started coming out about the record, and I was like, "Oh, that's just that's just the words of the bio as the introductory paragraph." And I realized, I was like, oh, you can just tell people what to, you're, you're essentially yeah, writing yeah. the first part of the article for them, you know, which is, yeah, controlling your image. What kind of crazy stuff got edited out back then? Uh, oh, man, I think the first Wolf Parade bio was like four pages of just rambling, like, uh, surrealist nonsense, you know, like, like, uh, the key, one of the keyboard, the keyboard player Haji and I were really into, uh, Low Tremont, uh. Who made who wrote this book called Maldor, which really uh, influenced like Marcel Duchamp and a lot of the surrealists. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were we were just really heavily into riffing on that book. It was like a super nerdy in joke that no one would get, but just riffing on Maldor in the in the bio and making it as uh, unpalatable as possible. Yeah, so, yeah. And that was just that got edited. It was a little bit 
little bit after the period where the internet became what it was, where it could kind of seek out those falsehoods. Because earlier than that, a lot of bands would just fuck around in their press releases and get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, like make insane. Yeah, I guess it's harder to it's harder to it's harder to erase your past and like create some kind of crazy ass backstory that that is then taken as like boilerplate. You know, yeah, this this actually happened. But I feel like it still happens. I feel like there's still bands where they're like. You know, there's historical information that's like wiped. You know, if there was another mm-hmm. band before it. Oh um, yeah, you, you yeah. know what I mean. Like I'm, thinking, I'm, of I'm like, thinking of one band in particular right now uh, that uh, uh, that is very different than the band that the that the singer had before he started this more popular band. Mm-hmm. Um, of like a completely different genre style, like uh, affectation in the voice. Hmm. Uh, it was like a, a failed failed experiment. You know. This sounds like you're riddling me. I'm not riddling someone, anybody. Someone I'm come just, up with. you know, yeah. The wheel, I mean, the wheels have been turning in my yeah, head as you've been yeah. saying that. I mean, it just, yeah. if, for me, the first example that comes to mind was when Lana Del Rey became Lana Del Rey. Yeah. She didn't really try to erase it, but like she had this past as Lizzie Grant as a folk singer that was completely different from what she, her persona was as Lana. Her label literally did try and erase it. Like, they oh. pulled stuff off the mm-hmm. internet and, you know, which, it's funny because when I, when I first read about that I was like you know I come from a punk rock background I you know the idea of uh, like I, I just got my start playing hardcore music and and the idea is you know you are who you are on stage and off stage there's no yeah. line but the, you know and I, I saw this I watched this thing happen with Lana Del Rey and then uh one of my bandmates and operators was like was like dude you're completely wrong about this she can do whatever she wants you know like like there's no there's no rules like there's a there's an artfulness to creating a persona yeah um i think it's just when labels interfere and and train you know as long as as long as this artifice is being directed by the artists themselves mm-hmm. and not from outside forces then it's it's just as honest as as being in a hardcore band or fugazi or something like that you know I think the idea of authenticity is sort of is sort of dead at this point. <laughs> like the search for the authentic, what is authentic? Like to the point where there's just like no real reason to even search for it anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like a lot of things get wrapped in authenticity and sold as authentic that aren't. You know, like the, the whole uh, bizarre sort of rise and now maybe fall of uh, like I I don't even know how to describe it like fake civil war like rural hokey music yeah you know? i know what you're thinking Do you know about. What I'm yeah exactly like, like suspenders and like gosh gee whiz like fucking you know just that that is that is like authenticity that is inauthenticity masquerading as something <laughs> like totally authentic which yeah i think i think it's just over like the idea of like Grimes, for instance, Grimes is super authentic. She's but but it's like costumes and a bizarre sort of like uh, visual presence that is uh, you know constantly changing. Yeah, which in itself is like hyper artificial, but but is that's Claire like that's it's what she's into. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean that's a, that's an honest expression of art for her. So. Yeah, it's it's like an extension of what you were just saying about being the same person on and off stage. Yeah. If you're a very interesting, performance-minded person just in life, you'll probably be that way on stage. Yeah. 
then, and then there's the argument that maybe you shouldn't be the same person on and off stage because it's entertainment, you know? Okay, yeah. That's, 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 what, you're, that's what you're doing. Like, you're, you're an entertainer. So I, I'm pretty much the same person. Yeah, so... Stage, but, but that's me. But. Mm-hmm. And what about with different bands? Because, like, do you feel like there's some sort of difference in persona when you're up there as, like, Dan with Wolf Parade versus, like, Dan with Operators or, you know, with Handsome Furs in the past? Um, I don't think there's, I don't think there's as much of a difference between those bands. Like, yeah. uh, I think, I think, I think with Wolf Parade, I get to, uh, I, I, I'm pulled back a little bit more because just because I'm not singing half of the songs, you know, it's Spencer sings half of the songs. I sing half of the songs and we kind of back each other up vocally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for a lot of his songs, I get to just shred on guitar, which I love doing, and and that's a different, you know, that's a different facet of my yeah. Life okay, persona. okay. I mean, for operators, it's it's a little more amplified than than Wolf Parade, you know, mm-hmm. I, because I'm not tied to the guitar all the time. I can gesticulate with my hands. Yeah, it's yeah. more beat driven, so you know. Yeah, and I'm interested. I can interact with the audience a little more uh, with 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 operators, I think, uh, than I than I can with with Wolf Parade. All that interaction has to be like super emotional because uh, I'm kind of rooted to the, like my guitar station and my mic. It's more like yeah. classic rock band style, whereas mm-hmm. operators is like I can I can do like a cabaret singer style thing. You know, I can actually get down there and kind of mess with people in the audience, which I like doing too. Yeah, yeah. What what is it like? Always wondered with you. What is it like sharing a band in the stage with another front person? Is there any kind of like co- competition that comes in with whose songs are in the set list or maybe what song is a single or what you perform when you go on a, like a show or a talk show and can only do one song? Is there any rivalry there? That's a pretty good question, man. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... You, re- you remember the Occupy Wall Street protests? Yeah. And how, like, one of the reasons... Uh, they sort of fell apart was because they had this sort of loosely defined political idea of like, uh, which I think is noble of grouping together and then making sure that everyone's concerns were handled before they went forward with like any sort of policy statement or like, we're going to do this or make Mm -hmm. a decision. Uh, that's kind of how Wolf Parade works. So it just means everything takes a little bit longer, but if you attack stuff on a case-by-case basis, like television, for instance, who's going to sing the song, you know? You just have to talk about it, and then and then you figure it out. But it's, it's never really been a huge issue in the band. We just kind of split everything 50-50. And then with stuff like Divine Fits, you know, it was, it was easy. It was totally easy. If there's mutual respect there, then you're going you're gonna to present it as, as equal in sharing the stage. Yeah. I think where it falls apart is if you have somebody who's a giant dick about stuff, who's like just got to, like, and luckily I I haven't ever been in a band with anyone who's I've been in, I'm in bands with people who have big egos, but not people who are divas about stuff. Who has the biggest ego? Who has the biggest ego? Yeah. In Wolf Parade or any of these just bands you've been in? Jeez, man, that's a good question. You know, honestly, probably uh, this guy Brian Stubbs, who was in the first band I ever played in, uh-huh. uh, which uh, I was a teenager, I was in high school. It was an awful, uh, noisy hardcore band called Say Uncle, and Brian was convinced that he was a he was like a like a virtuoso drummer. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. So he would just uh, solo, like, every half bar. He could play a beat for, like, you know, maybe, like, one, two, three, four, and then he'd get bored, and it'd just be, like, <laughs> full-on drum solo for, like, twice that length. And, like, and yeah, how uh, did that even work for hardcore, with just, like, constant and prop to drum solos? Yeah, we kind of sounded like ass. I mean, the band was terrible, but... <laughs> But yeah, probably Brian. No, I'm luckily I haven't really been in bands with people who have. Yeah, ego definitely ego, but deserved ego and not not like divas about anything. Yeah, yeah. Let's play a little bit more. Uh, let's play an old Wolf Parade song. Shine a light. Ah oh, shit. <laughs> right. Why would you say oh shit? Oh, just I. You know, we've been rehearsing and I. Uh, it's it's funny to you know go back to these songs and yeah you think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of little steps to remember mm-hmm. right We're looking at a set we can play probably 32 songs that we know how to play okay uh and each song has like a million different little parts and it's kind of amazing that you know muscle memory kicks in and you're like oh i, I don't even have to think about this this is how this is how to play this song so. Yeah, how much have you rehearsed so far? Uh, well, we, you know, we spent about a year writing, uh, just getting together every couple of months and writing uh, new stuff and jamming actually, mm-hmm. because we didn't want to we didn't want to start the band back up without without doing that. It seemed pointless to like start it up and just rehearse old stuff and then play shows. That yeah, it was like sort of counter counter to our whole whatever philosophy of you know making art we all have collectively together but uh i guess we've had two solid two solid weeks of rehearsals where we've gone over the old stuff and it's been fun yeah yeah so it's trajectory seems getting a lot tighter yeah oh yeah yeah i think it just it just took a couple of times of you know running over a song and then everything just kind of snaps back into place yeah so are you going to be playing new music when you start the reunion shows? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. We're going to we're going to pepper this set with new stuff. But just your songs. No, no. Not both every, everybody everybody's songs. <laughs> everybody's songs get uh, get their time on the stage. Yeah. Do you have any idea of like when you might release some stuff? Um, no. No. Not yet. I if you know if I was gonna guess when new stuff would come out, it's definitely probably gonna be around the uh, around these Bowery shows. Yeah, yeah, that would make the most sense. And that's soon. Yeah, that's in, May seventeenth. That's May seventeenth. Yeah, yep. So that's very soon. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about huh. it. I'm excited about those shows. If new stuff was coming out, maybe it would probably be like recorded already, right? Yeah, yeah, we've recorded. Yeah, some stuff. word. Yeah, yeah. How do you think it compares? Like, do you think, yeah, when people hear it, what do you think they'll think? Like, oh, okay, Wolf Parade, or like, oh, I think. Well, it sounds like Wolf Parade, so that w- that was our main goal. Was like, <laughs> if we're gonna write, I-, I don't think this. I don't think that band is capable of writing anything that doesn't sound like Wolf Parade. Like, I don't think we could go into a studio and come up with something that sounded different than. You know, that didn't have, like, angular guitars or, like, you know, something in five over something in four, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, little tricky parts and stuff. And, I, I, yeah, I just think we're incapable of writing anything that's not 
Wolf Parade sounding. So I, I think the new stuff, though, uh, the new stuff is is considerably shorter than the uh, than the songs that we were writing for Expo, mm-hmm. which was our last record. Yeah. So they're they're very compact songs. There's a lot of information in a shorter amount of time. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Tight. Tight packed songs. Tight packed songs. Yeah. Really just wanted to write like maximum impact songs that had a bunch of parts and were like digestible, you know. Album title, Maximum Impact. Maximum Impact. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a like a failed nineties action movie. Maximum impact. Yeah. Combining what I guess it'd be like deep impact and maximum max- overdrive. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say max pain, but it's a video yeah. well, it was a movie. Max impact. Yeah. <laughs> And what about choosing to do the way you've rolled out this tour with uh, residencies, mini residencies at first? Like, what made you want to do five or six straight shows at the same venue, like Bowery in New York? Because I love Bowery Ballroom, and I love playing a venue that size because you get to you get to actually connect with the people in the audience mm-hmm. in a way that you. I also love playing Terminal Five too, um, but. With a Bowery show, you can connect with people on a on a small like a, on a smaller scale and have have more of a more of an effect. You know, there's more there's more of an energy exchange there in a, yeah. in, a in a packed Bowery show. You know, it's more intimate. And I felt like I think the whole band felt like this is something we always had wanted to do as as we toured. You know, like even even back in 2010 when we stopped playing shows, we'd always ask our booking agent, "Hey, can we just do like." five Bowery shows or like, you know, and it obviously is completely stupid to do five nights in each city. You end up touring for four months, right? When you can just pack people into a bigger venue and do one or two nights. So, you know, these shows, I wanted them to be special. I think everybody wanted them to be special. So we thought, okay, we can finally do this. We can, we can do five nights at Bowery. Yeah. And, and have it be a more intimate, you know, intimate thing for the people coming and see the shows. And we we put up some shows at Lee's Palace, which is kind of like the Bowery of Canada, uh, in uh, in Toronto. And we they sold out right away, so we just kept adding more. And then we eventually stopped adding them because yeah. really, <laughs> we could do this for like a week probably. Just but. like a heat test to see how many shows you can add until one doesn't sell out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, it was just kind of like playing a game of chicken with the. And the same thing with London. We added a. We have two shows in London, so. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm yeah. really excited about it. Yeah, and it's awesome to hear that you guys. It was such a priority to pair with new music because for a lot of artists who do like. 10 years since this album reunion it does not come with new music it comes as just like nostalgia yeah yeah and we're not that's there's no way this would have happened unless we started writing new music that was like incredibly that was important that was the main thing that's why we spent like a year before we touched any of the old songs Mm -hmm. we didn't play a note of anything we'd recorded prior to you know yeah us getting together so and yeah and then uh i don't know I, it it feels good it feels like you know the band took a break and we're starting up again that's basically what happened yeah yeah refresher yeah totally but then at the same time the start of the wolf parade shows is 2 weeks after operators so you really have to just sort of like shift mindsets 
Yeah, I'm essentially going to fly from, you know, Boston or Montreal out to British Columbia for rehearsals. And then two weeks after that, I'll be back in New York playing these residency shows. And I like that. I can do that because mm-hmm. I did it. I did it before with Handsome Furs and Wolf Parade. But I like being busy. I like having I like being able to transition between those two things. Yeah. And they're very different. Like the, the projects are different. Different audiences, and there's a different vibe and a different feeling on stage. So, um, it's good to have like a couple buffer days to just kind of switch. And then, yeah, what's it been like with the operator shows so far? Playing a lot of sh- songs that a lot of the crowd just hasn't heard because they haven't been released yet. Um, they've been shocking. Like, it's it's funny. Like, I, I think the way we sequence the record. Because uh, some of these songs we've been playing for some of the songs that came out on the record, we've been playing live for like maybe eight months before we recorded them. Mm-hmm. The audience reaction to like uh, a lot of those songs kind of dictated where they went on the record, or mm-hmm. like even if they made the record or not. And I'm consistently shocked how stoked people are on listening to a set of music that they've they've never heard before. You know. We just did a we just did a short tour of Ontario to get ready for the U.S. tour, mm-hmm. and the set was almost entirely music that was unreleased, except for maybe Cold Light. Yeah, and people went nuts for it. So I I feel good about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to work harder when you do that. You have to really you have to really make sure those songs. You can't just kind of coast and be like, ah, eh, people know this song when they hear the bass line, they'll they'll be excited or whatever. You're, you're, you're literally just being like, hey, I made this, like, listen to it. And, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to, you, you have to just kind of nail it every time you're up there. Yeah. People the one, aren't familiar with it. Yeah. The one I like the most is uh, the second track on the album, yeah, Control. And that one has not been released previously, right? No, no. Yeah. I think the only, it only exists in a, there's a live uh, KXP in Iceland. We played okay. Iceland Airwaves and KXP who I love, they uh, they recorded us doing a set at a at this Kex hostel in Reykjavik, and there's a version of that song on the internet. Somebody recently sent us a video that they took of their kid listening to that version of the song and just basically losing his fucking mind. <laughs> like, well, yeah, dancing, it's, it's running an around the room. Dance. It's yeah. like a dance song, but heavy at times. Yeah, yeah. Especially with the sax in there, too. Oh, man, the sax. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a weighty sax. Yeah, let's play a little bit of this song so people know what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, it's interesting with uh, operators because there's these different instruments, these different tracks we're talking about, and it seems like when you perform live, it's all going on on stage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing we can't really replicate live every single time is is the saxophone and that just depends on who's in town and who's willing to play sax on stage with <laughs> us so on this upcoming tour our friend brad uh is gonna play sax on a couple of on a couple of shows actually you know i should I've, i'm just thinking about this now i should put an open call out, out to local sax players and just be like you want to yeah give play? brad some help yeah Give Brad, Brad just running, following the band poor Brad. across the country. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, other than that, yeah, everything is live. Uh, all the all the sequencing is live. Uh, all the drum machine stuff is is live. Uh, the synths are live. The guitars, everything. So, so it's like 
it's kind of like a tightrope. It's kind of like a tightrope walk, you know? Everything has to just kind of fit together perfectly. And this is kind of a feeling like, okay, things could go wrong at any second, which I like. I like that sort of element of uh, danger when we're playing. Yeah, and I, I think with fan interaction, that would probably help when fans can see what's going on as opposed to a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to shit on laptops, though. <laughs> because, and I, I believe this is true, at a certain point, uh, I think somebody in an audience looking at a giant table of blinking lights and cables, uh, which is essentially what we've got going on in the center of the stage, all, all the synths, somebody looking at that and then somebody looking at a giant pile of blinking lights and cables that has a laptop next to it, uh, there's there's really no difference I think for the for the audience mm-hmm. it's still sort of un, like it's just like unfathomable hardware you know so I mean the only fix would be to like I've always thought it would be great to have like a GoPro attached to the top of the table and yeah. being projected so people could see what Devoika is doing live because it's incredibly complicated <laughs> and uh, and like pretty awesome. I get to see it because I'm looking over at the table. You know, yeah, I mean, I because I'm not really a musician myself. A lot of times, I struggle to understand what's going on stage. So what he's doing is queuing up a bunch of samples and pressing different devices so that they all come up at the right times. Uh, no, she's like she's she's sequencing, uh, you know, like a bass line or uh, drum patterns, muting and unmuting. Mm-hmm. Playing uh, like top line, lead lines, and bass lines live, like filtering the bass. It's it's essentially like a like live DJing live instrumentation. So there's there's no samples even. It's all, okay. It's all analog synth stuff making all that noise. So and and it's this amazing dance of like her and Sam. Uh, Sam, the drummer, interacting with each other to, to build the rhythm section. And they do that every night. And it's it's pretty rad to watch. Yeah, because it, it goes so far beyond just playing one instrument throughout a song. You just have to have a little schedule in your mind of what you're doing at each part and be doing the right thing at that part of the stage at the right time. Exactly. To get, oh my God. Yeah, it's a very, like, it's, it's uh, you know, I write on all that equipment. That's the stuff that I write the operator songs on. But playing it live is... I, I don't think I could do it, you know? I'm kind of a, like, I can deal with singing. I can deal with playing guitar. I can deal with playing a mono synth. Mm-hmm. And I can do all three of those things at the same time if I really have to. But that kind of thinking that's sort of, you know, modular, like this part, then that part, then this part, and then, you know, 16 bars from now, I got to turn the filter down, and then I'm going to put the clap in. For every single song, I don't, you know, that's that's Devoika's world. That's and she's good at it. So yeah. different worlds, different worlds, <laughs> existing as one. Man, well, that's yeah. that's that's like the pull quote. That's your life in a nutshell, basically. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I uh, just kind of drifting between between these two uh, two or three projects at any given time, but like I. I wouldn't rather do anything else, you know? Like, I used to... I've talked about this in interviews a lot, but um, I used to I used to work a lot of shit jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, name a shit job. I've 
I've probably worked it for a couple of weeks. Like I, I cleaned the butcher's department at a grocery store after hours. I can worked in a bar. I worked at a pharmaceutical company. I telemarketed. I like took a shitty drywall from like crumbling apartment buildings. And anytime I feel like, you know, like, Oh, I'd like some time off or I just remember when I was working those jobs, all I wanted was a week to write songs or even like, you know, I'd set the bar really low and just be like, I just want one day to like not have to do anything but work on music. So after I started making money with Wolf Parade and didn't have to work jobs like that anymore, I felt like if I'm not filling my time up, making music, playing shows, touring, then I'm an asshole, you know? Because <laughs> I wanted that. I wanted to be able to fill my time up with that. And I know a lot of other people who play music and who want to do that and and who can't so if i'm given that opportunity and i don't take it then i'm a dick (laughs) so seriously come on yeah get out of bed write some songs you're lucky yeah i feel like it's my (laughs) job i mean i feel i feel like i what i do is is worth making a living you know i feel like what i do has value Mm -hmm. uh but i also feel lucky to do it you know do you ever feel like you go too hard and it just gets overwhelming and you have to step back? Uh, occasionally, but it's mostly with the admin, you know, the boring nuts and bolts side of things, which I'm admittedly pretty terrible at. But there's always, there's right, usually some, bio. yeah, <laughs> there's usually somebody, there's usually somebody around in the band or like part of our part of our team uh, who's better at that stuff than me, yeah. and so we kind of delegate delegate tasks you know yeah yeah but uh yeah yeah well cool lots of exciting stuff coming up that's just about everything i had in mind is there anything else you want to touch on i think that's it man i think we're good cool well thanks so much for coming by thanks for having me boom boom When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.